Local voices, local conversations. NapaBroadcasting.com Welcome back to NapaBroadcasting.com. Sometimes it seems that the Napa Valley, in addition to being the land of vineyards, is the land of fundraisers. We have many and for lots of good causes. But like everything else, there's a hierarchy. And one of the most significant is celebrating its 21st year. The Staglin Family Music Festival for Brain Health, a unique fundraising event focusing on brain disorders to date, has surpassed $210 million in the money that it's raised. We're going to talk a little bit about that today, some of the causes, some of the aspects of what it has done, and some of the unique parts of 21 years of fundraising here in the Napa Valley. It is my pleasure to be joined here in the studio today by Brandon Staglin. Brandon, thanks so much for coming in. I appreciate it. Jeff, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. It's a delight to have you here. Talk a little bit about the beginnings of this, because I wasn't there for it. But, you know, like so many other things that, that become traditions and grow you know, exponentially, it started off relatively small for a good cause, and it's really grown into something pretty special. Yeah, uh, well, I, I was there at the beginning. Uh, so, um, yeah, I was inspired by uh, this event started in 1995, and it was inspired by my family's and my shared experience with my diagnosis of schizophrenia in 1990 and how that um, developed into eventual recovery, a process of recovery for me uh, through inter- interventions like psych- um, psychotherapy and medication. And eventually I was, within a few months after my psychotic break in 1990, I was able to go back to school and get the degrees that I was pursuing in college at, at Dartmouth in New Hampshire and uh go on to uh, to work um, as an engineer in Palo Alto for a while, designing satellites, uh, components. And uh, so my family was, was happy to see me recover, but we all went through a very difficult time. And so um, we knew, my parents knew they, 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 at the time that it's very difficult for many, many families throughout the United States and the world uh, who deal with uh, loved ones um, who live with mental health conditions, uh, as well as for the individuals themselves, obviously. Um, so uh, they wanted to do something to address this issue um, and offer some hope, you know, hopefully, for themselves and for lots of people uh, that they knew and that they, even that they didn't know, um, for better treatments and the availability of better treatments for mental health conditions. So they, they started the first music festival for brain health in 1995, uh, at their vineyard in Napa Valley, Staglin Family Vineyard in Rutherford, and uh, they knew um, they knew uh, Charlie Trotter. They had met him recently, the chef, and Richard Williams, the orchestral conductor, mm-hmm. and had many friends, uh, generous friends, and who ran other wineries around the Napa Valley. And so they invited all of these people to come and participate in the first music festival for mental health in that year. And uh, that was the first year, and it raised um, uh, something like $180,000, uh, which was great. Uh, you know, it's a great benefit for the cause, uh, but it's grown a lot since then. And just to um, uh, to update the figure that you mentioned a minute ago, that it raised $210 million over the course of its uh, existence, it's actually $225 million wow. now. Talk a little bit about narrowing the focus. Certainly, concern about mental health is is, is a big subject and something a lot of people talk about in a very general sense, but there's a lot of, of much smaller components of that. Talk a little bit about narrowing it down, narrowing the focus, and really doing it in a way where, where the money that goes towards it, the research towards it, really begins to make significant contribution. Yeah, focus is a great 
uh, thing to, to, to look at because we, we, we realize that we need focus to make headway uh, in, in the cause. Um, so there are many different areas you could focus on to improve mental health conditions and the state of mental health care in the United States and, and our world, uh, some being policy advocacy and some being a reduction of stigma, some being improving access to care. But we focus on scientific research because we know that the treatments that are available today are not nearly good enough to count as cures for these mental health conditions. Um, many of the medications that, well, all the medications that people can take that are the, the first line of, of treatment uh, for, for most people who live with severe mental illness, uh, such as um, antipsychotic medications or antidepressants, things like that, uh, they all have side effects, and they can be very, very troublesome. I took Zyprexa for many years, for example. Um, I took other medications as well. They all had side effects, but uh, I gained a lot of weight on that particular one that I just mentioned. Um, I took clozapine for a while um, early on, uh, and that worked well for me, but uh, um, it made me sleep a lot, and so that was a bad side effect that I had to deal with. Um, and it, it's, it can be worse for people uh, than, than even that I had it for side mm -hmm. effects. So, so we, want, we want to improve these treatments not only in medications but also in other forms of intervention like uh, cognitive training, for example, or digital intervention. So in, in the late 90s, I did a, a cognitive training program, which was uh, part of a study which was funded by our nonprofit, by the Music Festival for Mental Health at the time. And uh, that was a pilot project to uh, study whether uh, – Neuroplasticity-based interventions, meaning interventions, uh, treatments that are that can target circuits in your brain by exercising them, by challenging you to do kind of gradually more difficult, uh, specific tasks, right. and get better at them, and and build your brain's ability to do these things. These actually strengthen the circuits in your brain that underpin your ability to function in the world. And so, by by doing these cognitive training exercises, which were the study was funded by our nonprofit. Um, I was able to get more comfortable in conversation because I could remember things better. I could understand the nuances in, in inflections and in speech better. I could, I could um, uh, just r respond more appropriately and, and understandably to myself and to the other participants in the conversation. So it was just more comfortable social situations. Within a year, I was ready to go back to work uh, after a relapse that I had had a couple of years before. Um, so, so that's an example of the kind of cutting-edge treatments that we are involved in in promoting and, and doing more research to improve and in the 21 years that you've been doing this talk about some of the areas some of the other areas that you have focused on and some of the cutting edge results that have come out of that research yeah yeah so uh so the, so many great scientists um so many scientists have done great things with the the funding that our donors have enabled us to to give to these scientists to do their work uh we fund scientists through a a program called the Rising Star Award program. That's the primary program that we use, which uh, scientists competitively apply for these awards. Uh, and we choose our scientific advisory board chooses the best applicants out, out of the pool to give the awards to. Uh, some of these Rising Star Award winners have gone on to do amazing things. For example, Akira Sawa, Dr. Akira Sawa of Johns Hopkins University. Uh, he has has done a lot of work in in narrowing down the interactions between different genes that can contribute to. Um, the development for risk for schizophrenia. Um, he's also gone on to become um, uh, the head of a, a major lab there um, so, and, and get grants from the government to do even more work in that area. Uh, more recently, Dr. Scott Russo at uh, Mount Sinai School of Medicine, Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, that is to say, uh, has, has uh, been working in understanding how the immune system can relate to 
um, depression and how uh, if there is too much inflammation in the body due to um, an allergy to stress, so to speak, then uh, emotional stress, then uh, the body can react in a way that, that creates this sensation of depression, can lead to clinical depression or major depressive disorder. And he's already working with a, a pharmaceutical company, uh, Johnson & Johnson, to uh, develop two new medications that target that, that pathway in the brain and the body uh, to improve the symptoms of depression in, in people who have it. Um, so that's really hopeful for, for me to see and for, hope for everyone to see. Um, and for one other example, uh, let's see. This year, uh, Dr. Katie McLaughlin of University of Washington has received a Rising Star Award. And she's gone on to uh, do an early intervention study where she can, uh, um, she's, she's looking at using smartphone technology to monitor in youth, young people, adolescents, uh, their, their sleep patterns and their, their stress patterns as, as uh, revealed in their, their voice stress as, as analyzed by the software on the phone, uh, their patterns of social interaction, like how often they call and text their friends, not the content, but just how often they do it put all this together with brain scans to determine how stress can lead to depression and anxiety in young people. Because that's so important because once we know that, then we can intervene early uh, in a young person's life cycle and hopefully give them the chances that they need to go on to a fulfilling and productive life and not have to deal with uh, the severe mental illnesses like, like I had to deal with. Talk a little bit about the, the young people because seeing these symptoms appear in adolescence and trying to, to deal with them in adolescence seems to be a major part of where the research is, is going right now. Talk a little about that. Definitely. It, it's so important. Um, that particular Rising Star Wars that I just mentioned was uh, enabled by the funding from a chapter of IMRO called Aim for Mental Health, which is based in Pebble Beach, run by a very dynamic, wonderful woman named Susan Stilwell. Um, and uh, so that chapter is focused on um, uh, interventions for young people and uh, uh, tre treatments in the near term for young people. Um, that's a great thing that they're doing and that we're doing together. Uh, another program that EMRO has uh, funded um, in, the, in recent years and will continue to fund is at UCLA. It's called CAPS, the Center for the Assessment and Prevention of Prodromal States. Not only can young people deal with anxiety and depression, which can be very devastating. Uh, we've all heard the statistics about suicides on the rise for young people, and you know it's very troubling to see that. We're trying to do work on that and, and ways to you know, improve conditions for young people and their ability to bounce back from stressful situations. But uh, uh, if, if a young person gets into too much psychological stress and, and their brains can't handle it, uh, some people just aren't, aren't wired to be as stress resilient as others, then they may deal with psychosis even, like, like I did. And uh, so CAPS that I mentioned a moment ago is called the Center for the Assessment and Prevention of Prodromal States. It's a center at UCLA that we funded since the early 2000s. And it, uh, the idea there is to understand the early warning signs of psychosis, not only in symptoms and the way someone behaves, but also in what hap what's happening in their brain, in their body. For example, they, they may show signs of elevated cortisol in their saliva, which is a biomarker, something you can test for physically, like a blood test. Uh, there could be, even be a blood test for this being investigated. There is one being investigated right now to test for uh, inflammatory proteins in the blood, uh, mm -hmm. which can be early warning signs of oncoming psychosis in 
they can be interpreted as early warning signs in conjunction with lots of other tests that can be done together. Mm-hmm. And the confidence level is rising and rising for understanding, uh, for, for being able to predict whether a young person is at risk or not or severe risk or not for psychosis. So then once you know this, if you know a young person is at severe risk, then you can clinicians can intervene early and uh, do things like family psychoeducation, bring the family in to understand what the young person is going through and educate the young person as well um, at, uh, as to what they're going through, the symptoms, what they mean, uh, give them counseling to reduce uh, their stress, enable them to make plans and, and resolve the issues they're dealing with w- around stress so they can go on to succeed in school and work and in life. Mm-hmm. What's happening in the arena of genetic research at this point? Is, mm-hmm. is that an area where there is work being done on this? Yes, it is. And uh, so uh, at the Broad Institute in, in uh, excuse me, in Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts, there uh, they've worked with a thing called the Psychiatric Psychiatric Genomics Consortium, which um, is a consortium of dozens of research centers around the United States. Uh, and the world um, to pool their information about the genetics of schizophrenia and other brain health conditions. And by pooling their information in a big data format and analyzing it all together, they're able to find so far uh, to identify 108 different uh, genes that can contribute to the risk for schizophrenia. And this is huge because previously we we maybe if only five years ago we knew maybe I don't know the exact number but you know twenty and and now it's one hundred eight. One scientist I spoke to, Macheri Keshavan, says that uh, we're about twenty five percent of the way through understanding all the genes that can contribute to schizophrenia. And the importance of knowing the genes that can contribute to a mental health condition is comes in the fact that once you know which genes are at at play, you can analyze what those genes do and see where in the brain's operations and functioning you can intervene with a say a medication or a therapy like brain stimulation through electrical brain stimulation magnetic brain stimulation mm-hmm. things like that that are developing uh to um to, to, to you can target that that place in the pathway to to improve the symptoms and, and reduce um, the symptoms and improve the functioning of the person who is uh who is uh, experiencing those symptoms Talk a little bit about your perspective on this and really seeing this research and getting to talk to some of these wonderful scientists that are that are here every year as part of the festival, some of these people that are the grant recipients that are doing this cutting-edge research, and, and working on this and, and looking at this for, as someone who really understands the fundamentals of, of what they're talking about. This isn't just some some distance kind of a, a attitude. I mean, you, you, you've lived this. Yeah, it's really rewarding for me to, to be involved in this. Um, as you say, I, I've experienced uh, schizophrenia and, and some of the really, you know, horrifying symptoms that can produce delusions, hallucinations, um, uh, you know, th- things like thinking I would go straight to hell if I ate too many bites of lunch. You know, that's an example of the horrifying things that would run through my mind moment to moment when I was really sick. And and now that I've been able to engage in some treatments and get better, to I mean, it's, obviously it's an ongoing process. The wellness is a spectrum, and I'm mm-hmm. still working at it. But um, I, I'm able to see that uh, treatments work, and uh, treatment, but the treatments can be improved. They need to be improved, and they are being improved. And, and seeing what the work these scientists is doing is really inspiring to me. Um, I've always loved science, not only because I deal with the mental health condition, but also because 
I just do. <laughs> and uh, it, it excites me to see uh, every year the the innovations that uh, that Rising Star Award and Winning Scientists and other scientists that we fund uh, actually come up with to uh, to improve life for people's mental health conditions. I mean, it, I know that it isn't just me who deals with this. It's it's about 350 million people around the world. And um, th- all those people can potentially benefit from the work that these scientists are doing in the long run. Uh, and that really gives me a lot of hope and, and satisfaction to, to know that. Does it make you think sometimes that, gee, I wish that, that they had made that progress or that this had been discovered when I was younger, when I was still an adolescent, <laughs> um, you know, uh, if my life had gone a different way, if if there had been better treatments when I was younger, um, then I might in better attitudes about treatment when I was younger. So, so like when science, when when a doctor approaches a patient with schizophrenia, say back in the '90s when I had it, um, they might say to the patient, like I, I was kind of told. <sighs> Don't expect too much. Kind of mm-hmm. d- don't push yourself too hard. That is to say, right. stress is, was told to be my enemy. I was told that stress was my enemy, and that I needed to minimize my stress uh, in order to um, uh, to be well and, and to to be okay, and you know, and not too symptomatic. And so, um, that was healthy advice, and that I did stabilize. But I think it's important to understand that now the treatments are improving. And access to treatment is improving, and coordinated treatment is improving. Um, it's great that young people have much, so much more potential to succeed in life and do great things in their life, even if they have a condition like schizophrenia. So um, I think it's important for young people to continue to dream their dreams and, and, and pursue their goals, even if they have this mental health diagnosis or a risk diagnosis. And Because there are great treatments that are available that can help them, and they're, they're improving all year by year. Finally, I want to talk a little bit about the awareness because it's one of the other things that, that's part of the agenda of, of the festival that, as we said, has been going on for 21 years. There's the scientific part, much of which we've, we've been talking about, but there's also the importance of greater mental health awareness in the country and in, in, in communities all over. Talk a little bit about that and why it's so important. Yeah. Uh, well, so many people uh, who, who are diagnosed with a mental health condition or, or think they might have one, um, they, they either don't seek or discontinue treatment because of the stigma involved and because they, they believe that uh, um, they'll be discriminated against or looked down on or ostracized. I thought all these things when I was younger, and, and some of it was, you know, true. Uh, I had friends who I lost um, because of my condition, not their fault. Um, they didn't understand, and I certainly was behaving in a way they couldn't understand. Um, but... Uh, it's important that you know for people who deal with conditions like this to know uh, they de- they don't need to be ashamed of what they're dealing with. Uh, so many people deal with this. Um, you can improve your uh, your symptoms, your life, your potential. Uh, you can live a good life. Um, it may be different than what you expected in some ways uh, before you had this diagnosis, but. Um, it may be a great life anyway, and. Uh, so the more people understand that there is potential for improvement and recovery from from mental illness, you know, the more they will, um, the more that they will support research to improve um, uh, treatments for 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 people who can can use them, and the more that they'll also, moreover, um, view people with mental illness. I have, I hope and believe um, as 
you know, as humans, because we are, and uh, as equivalent humans are you know, on, this, on par with anyone else. Uh, there is a misconception that people are crazy or psycho. People use these words, they're hurtful words you know, at times, and uh, uh, they feel, make, make people feel like they're less than or discriminated against, and, and in fact, that is a form of discrimination. But uh, um, people, when they realize that people with mental illness are just like them in so many ways, we have the same feelings, the same types of goals, uh, then they'll understand uh, that we can be their friends too, and we're all on par. We're all in the same boat together. Brandon Staglin, I thank you so much for coming in. I appreciate it. Jeff, you're welcome. Thanks so much. Wine, food, talk. NapaBroadcasting.com.